0: I'm Joe Sparrow, and if you haven't already listened to the first episode about Nancy's first book, The Primal Wound, Understanding the Adopted Child, then I suggest you hit pause and do so before listening to this one. It will lay the foundation for what lies ahead. A quick recap about today's guest. In 1993, a book was released that turned the fairy tale narrative of adoption on its head and revolutionized the way we think about it. Its author wasn't the first to explore the effects of early infant separation from their mother and subsequent adoption. However, in my opinion, she was the first to name and communicate it in a way that was profoundly digestible and accessible. And for me, that is the greatest feature of her work. Nancy Verrier is a former teacher, a psychotherapist, author, and lecturer. She holds a master's degree in clinical psychology and researched in the area of adoption. Today we'll be talking about Nancy's follow-up book, released in 2003, Coming Home to Self, The Adopted Child Grows Up. Coming Home to Self is a book about becoming aware and moving towards healing. It is written for all members of the Adoption Triad, adoptees, birth parents and adoptive parents, as well as those who are in relationships with them, including professionals. It explains the influence imprinted upon the neurological system and thus on future functioning. It explains how false beliefs create fear and perpetuate being ruled by the wounded child. It is a book which will help adoptees discover their authentic selves after living without seeing themselves reflected all of their lives. Welcome back, Nancy. Thank you very much. So we talked last episode about how the separation of an infant from their mother immediately or soon after birth and their subsequent adoption is a trauma. Can you define trauma for us? Trauma is when something happens
1: that's unexpected and, and confusing and involves loss. Usually. Um, I mean, there are all kinds of things that we call trauma, Mm -hmm. but I, I think, and of course, a lot of times people think, well, babies don't know. Believe me, the baby coming right out of the womb knows whether or not that mother is the mother. You know, I mean, yeah. whether whether the person who takes that baby home is, is that mother mm-hmm. that gave birth to it or not. And uh, so we have to stop thinking that, um, you know, that. We learn everything from a book or something like that, you know. We have a lot of instincts that we sometimes don't acknowledge. And, um, I mean, just I think I try to get people to watch Animal Planet on the TV. Do you have Animal Planet on your TV?
0: Yes, and I'm often traumatized by it. (laughs) (laughs) okay
1: and why are you traumatized
0: <laughs> it's usually there's one I remember a Richard Attenborough where this wildebeest mother is killed and her baby calf is trying to hang with the rest of the herd and the rest of the herd kicks it and makes it go away and it just keeps following them and they keep kicking it out and I like, say so can you imagine an adopted person watching that yeah. <laughs> it was horrible
1: yeah it would yeah. be horrible yeah <clears throat> but the most horrible part for the Baby, well, the was was losing its first mother. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> and then not being accepted by all the rest of them was just adding insult to injury.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: well, see, I think we we have to remember that we're mammals,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that mammals know who their babies are and who their mothers are. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I know that I know that sometimes we try to trick the mother sometimes because there's a mother that won't take its baby and so we try to give the baby to somebody else and maybe that somebody else doesn't really want it and that kind of thing or they might you know they might accept it but um but they know they know whether or not they are with the person that gave birth to them or who who is their baby mm-hmm. and so um we have to stop thinking it's okay to just you know It doesn't matter who the mother is or who the baby is.
0: Yeah.
1: But it matters to the mother and the baby.
0: And for so many adopted people, we're not automatically just, you know, taken particularly back when I was adopted, you're not just taken from the mother and handed straight to the um, adoptive parents. Like for me, there was three weeks in a hospital before that happened for some people it's longer or shorter. Um, So that's a whole lot of different people caring for you you no one particular person bonding with you
1: yeah that's that's something and and sometimes that happens to even babies who are who are going back to their their original mother Mm -hmm. they're separated because they're in incubators or whatever and I I do think that has it has an effect on them and um because you know and and one of the things that I that I realize now is that when, when we give birth to a baby in this country anyway, they don't separate the baby and the mother. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be that, okay, they take the baby away, put it in the nursery, and the mother goes somewhere else. And every once in a while, they bring the baby to the mother. They don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. When my And When my daughter gave birth to my grandson, and he's 17 now, um, they were separated for just a few minutes while the nurse cleaned up the baby. Mm-hmm. And then they were right together, and then and they went home together the next day. Yeah. So yeah. they've learned something, you know, that babies and mothers being separated is not such a good thing.
0: So in Coming Home to Self, you write about the importance of rituals for grieving members of the adoption triad, and you discuss how adoptees and mothers and fathers who have lost children to adoption might write a history of their time apart. Um, So for my doctoral thesis I researched constructing identity after adoption using writing and Mm -hmm. one of the things that I discovered was that writing could be used to create a monument for grief, kind of like a tombstone Uh, and while this could sometimes be negative in a non adoption context I believe that for adoption, people who are adopted or affected by adoption it's really helpful because it creates a monument where there was never any prior acknowledgement of loss and grief. So it kind of pours a foundation of thoughts and stakes a claim that loss happened, it was devastating, and this was my experience of it. Yes. So why do you feel that narrative is an important part of the healing process?
1: Well, I think think just writing things down is helpful, Mm -hmm. I mean, to anybody in in all kinds of processes Mm. because when you write them down, it's it's like okay, well, it's there. It's you know, I mean, it's always there. Yeah, it's not something that you're gonna forget or or um, think you didn't really experience it or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And writing things down can give it a what I what did you say before a, a monument a monument yeah yeah like a monument for, for that particular feeling and that, that sense of loss and also the regeneration of your life mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, some people create music. Some people do art. You know, writing's just one of the things that can happen to memorialize, I guess, yeah. the experience.
0: Is there anything in particular that you would recommend people think about or how they might go about writing a history like this, a history of their time apart? Well, I think one of the things I would suggest
1: is that people keep like these little three by five cards laying around. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then if they think of something, if something just comes to them to write it down and um <clears throat> I mean, people will say, you know, I wrote in, I wrote this, um, oh, what do you call a diary mm-hmm. when I was younger. And when I go back and read it now, I, I, I can't remember that I said that, but it brings something back to me though. You know, it's something that it's familiar, but not, you know, it's sort yeah. of in the between there, but I think it's very important to put things down in music or in, in art or, in writing that, that tells a little bit about the experience you are having mm-hmm. and then see where it goes during your lifetime.
0: Yeah. Something else that you wrote that I found really interesting was um, that you write that joy can be an elusive commodity for some adopted people and parents who have lost children to adoption and that it has a superstitious quality as if feeling joy will cause some great tragedy. And so they sometimes set up barriers to joy as a way of quelling disappointment. The way distancing oneself is a way of avoiding loss of love, which we talked about earlier or in last episode, I should say. Um, why is it important that we work to change this? And what are some of the ways that we can work towards opening ourselves up to joy in our lives?
1: Well, in, I th- I think it's important because joy is, is a legitimate feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, it isn't something that we have to be ashamed of. I mean, I know people that say, oh, you know, I saw somebody at a funeral and they were laughing. And I thought, well, good for them. You know, <laughs> they have something that they... They found joyful in that moment yeah and um, but we we think we, we should be feeling a certain way all the time or we or, we're, or in certain circumstances and we get upset at ourselves or at somebody else if we aren't um, portraying whatever it is the general feeling is a gloom or whatever mm-hmm. and um, but I think it's important for us to know that joy is just as just as legitimate a feeling as loss and and fear and all those other more negative feelings Um, and joy. But it is true that people sometimes feel guilty when they feel joy in certain circumstances. Mm. And I just don't think that's necessary at all to feel guilty about feeling joy. But it, I mean, and it just seems to me that there's a lot of there's a lot of all kinds of negative feelings right now, I think, in the world. Oh, yeah. And I think we could use some more joy. Yeah.
0: One of the things with joy that pops to my mind is by the time this episode comes out, I'll be 50. But While we're recording it, I'm a couple of weeks away from turning 50. And, um, you know, I've got friends, you know, people on Facebook, whatever, I see them celebrate their birthdays for a month. You know, it's the the festival of them. And they really get into it and take so much joy in their birthday. I do not like to celebrate my birthday. It's not an age thing. It's um, I just start feeling funky about it as it rolls around. I don't really want to do very much when it happens. You know, people ask me, do you want to do this? I'm like, actually, I really just I don't. I just would rather it just pass. And I, I, I know I'm not alone as an adoptee feeling that way. Have you ever spoken to adoptees about how they can manage this or do they need to or is it okay just to feel a bit funky about it or reclaiming their birthdays?
1: No, I think, I think the reason that they feel, because I think I wrote about this in the book, in one of my books, <clears throat> is it's the loss of the mother that makes them feel sad mm-hmm. and the loss of the mother happens right around their birthday. Yeah, you know, and so what they they begin to feel that loss and and they'll they'll look forward to their birthday and really get all excited and all their friends are going to give them a nice birthday party. But then when it comes to the day or around the time of their birthday, they start feeling sad. And uh, I know that my daughter did was like that Mm. Um, when she was a, a little girl. She she really was all excited about her birthday. But I noticed that she was more quiet on, on, on the day of her birthday. And I think it was some kind of, what do you call them? um, Anniversary reaction. Mm -hmm. Anniversary reaction to losing her mother. Yeah. Her first mom. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've, I've heard other adoptees say the same thing or, or, you know, people that have had a loss and, and a loss comes around again or the time comes around again, the day or the or the month or something and they feel that same feeling again Mm -hmm. so So do
0: you think that's something we should just acknowledge and accept or do you think it's something we should be working towards trying to find a different way of being on that day or that
1: well I don't I don't believe in trying to talk ourselves out of our feelings yeah um I did you know if you if you're If people are trying to entertain you and you're not you're not having a very good time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Go with that. um, (laughs) I really love that. Don't talk yourself out of your feelings. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you do what you feel. Yeah. And and there's a reason for it. Maybe you don't even know what the reason is. I mean, you might not remember that it's because I mean, and, and it might not be just because it's your birthday and you lost your mother that day or it, it might be something else that happened that was sad on a certain time. Mm-hmm. I know I have a friend who, who um, had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And every year about the time that she had had that miscarriage, she felt sad. Yeah. And um, that was a loss for her. And, um, and she would think, okay, what, what's going on with me? you know? And then she'd remember that this is a time yeah. when she lost her, her baby yeah so so you know our bodies remember more than our minds do sometimes they don't begin yeah yeah yeah. I see
0: your kitty oh it's my dog dog okay yes I couldn't tell from here (laughs) (laughs) he's really bored and he's angry at me because I've had him locked up all day so I have to go play ball with him
1: she's not feeding me yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: I can just skip back to trauma for a moment um when therapists are working with people who've been traumatized not by adoption but other types of trauma they're helping their clients work back back to the person that they were before the trauma happened but in the case of adopted people there is no pre-trauma self to which they can refer um so I'm wanting to know what you can tell us about the differences between early versus late trauma one of the things that you wrote um I found really interesting was that with a pre-verbal trauma such as adoption that you can believe that the post-traumatic coping behavior that you have is representative of your personality when in Mm. fact it's it's coping behavior but we don't know any different because that trauma happened at birth so um, so that makes things a little bit more complicated in some ways doesn't it when we don't really know who we were before that happened.
1: Yes, because you really still are that person you were before. Yeah. It's just that you had something happen that created a feeling and a way of coping with it. Yes, I, yeah. I, I just want people to know that they're still the same person. Mm-hmm. You, you, weren't, you weren't lessened by what happened to you. Yeah. However, when we have experiences, our experiences will dictate the way we act and the way we experience things. So, um, I, I think acknowledging these things is a good idea. And so, you know, what's going on, as I say, you know, when if you feel as if something's going on and you're not quite sure, well, what's, what's wrong with me today, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and sometimes, as soon as something is really acknowledged, then you can go on and not have to keep experiencing it over and over. But um, I, you know, so, so many times we just wanna get away from what's really going, what's really feeling, we're feeling inside. Yeah. And I think it's better. I mean, one of the things that I feel really good about so far as writing Primal Wound is that so many adoptees told me that at, Last, they could acknowledge those feelings that they were having, that they were normal feelings, that they weren't being a bad person because they were feeling these, these feelings of loss and, and not being happy about things and about their life. And, and, um, and so just, just knowing that your feelings are normal, and even if you don't figure out what it is exactly that's causing these feelings, um, just know that, okay, they're there. And sometimes it helps, as I say, you know, you were talking about writing, and I said writing or music or art or whatever it is that you can express yourself with is a good idea. Some people write poetry, and some of the poetry is amazing sometimes, you know, and they didn't even know they could write poetry. (laughs) Yes, yeah. But because the feelings are there, and you just acknowledge them and start writing, you know. Um, i think it's a good idea to say okay well let's see how am i going to experience this what am i going to do yeah. to um, experience what's going on inside
0: me right now yeah and um, and when i was reading your books in preparation for this interview i should say rereading them because i've read them several times uh, it reminded me of our first episode of 2021 um, where we spoke to pam cordano about her book 10 foundations for a meaningful life and I found in hers and in yours what I want to call a bit of firm or challenging love. Um, In fact, there was one quote that you had in your book that I just loved and it said, a person doesn't become an adult until they move from passive voice to active voice. So there is a point in our adoption journey, isn't there, um, where our focus needs to pivot from just understanding to actually taking action to heal, isn't there? Yes, yes.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> and that, and that form that it takes, the healing takes can be different for everybody, you know, yeah. and it, it's just a good idea to pay attention to what, what feels as if it will be healing and, and just know that the loss is always going to be there. You're mm-hmm. never going to get rid of the loss Yeah, because it happened. Yeah. And your, your whole body responded to it. So it's going to be there within your bodily feelings and so on and so forth. But, but you can, I think acknowledging the things that you're feeling and, and expressing what it is that it is, that that is causing them or, or just guessing, you know, you may just be guessing, um, is okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so taking those what,
0: first those first steps towards responsibility can for our own healing can be both very empowering and healing in itself and overwhelming at the same time. How do they begin?
1: Well, as I say, I, I may have a different idea about this than a lot of people do because I don't, I don't think healing means getting rid of all the feelings no. and, you know, the experience that you had because it's going to be in your cells anyway, you know, and um, you can either acknowledge it or not. But I, and so that's why I think acknowledging things can make it easier for you because then you don't have to keep having it reminding you, Mm -hmm. you know, and say, okay, I feel kind of down today because this is the day that blah, blah, blah happened. So, um, you know, healing is an interesting word. And I don't know that everybody has the same idea about what healing is. I mean, a lot of times people think healing is getting rid of all these feelings we're having or, or having our having our our cut on our arm you know heal over with a scab and all of this okay but you know our our healings of our feelings and our sense sensory sensory part of our being is not as easy as that you know yeah. and as i say i think acknowledging things you don't have to say, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to sit in this sadness and be terrible. So terribly sad all day. No, but you can just acknowledge, okay, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. And um, and not not think it's a bad thing. We always think we have to be happy all the time. And yet we, you know, as I said in my book, joy seems to be the hardest one for everybody to get to. Yeah. Because it's almost, almost feels treachery like treachery to feel joy in some yeah. situations you know yeah. and um
0: so we just have I think to- that's I think that's fantastic because I mean I certainly I don't like to um I like to be done with things so when I began my adoption explorations I anticipated there would be a time where I went okay done and I'll move along <laughs> with something else now uh-huh. And that that didn't come. And I have come to the realization, just as Jigsaw Queensland says, it's a lifelong journey and there will be things that pop up throughout my life that will bring it to the fore and yeah. at times I won't think about it that much at all. Um, and so that has been, um, for me, maybe just acknowledging that has been healing in that yes. some, you have to be patient. You can't just get rid of this. That's right. That's right.
1: And that is healing when you can just... Yeah. Just know that, okay, that's part of my life. That's part of what happened to me. And yeah, Yeah. well, good for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> any day now, any day I'll be done with it. <laughs> no, I didn't say I've actually got there. right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh Nancy Berrier, it has been such a pleasure to meet and interview you. Um, I didn't think we'd ever be able to get you on the podcast. So I'm just so grateful and I appreciate the time and the wisdom that you've imparted. And I know that our listeners will learn a great deal from the past couple of episodes. So uh, thank you so much for joining us on Adopt Perspective.
1: You are so welcome. And if people come up with questions you want to text me or, you know, let me know what they are, um, I'd be glad to, to uh, answer anything I can, you know.
0: Oh, thank you so much. That's fantastic. And I'm sure people might have some questions. So, yeah. Um, Prepare yourself. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, everyone, I I recommend that you read both of Nancy's books if you haven't already. And I will put up links to both on the episode notes page. And we, of course, have copies to borrow in the Jigsaw Queensland Library if you're a Jigsaw member. So you can listen to also the Reckoning of the Primal Wound episode featuring filmmaker uh, Rebecca Autumn Samson that went live on the 6th of October 2021. And the episode is about Rebecca's documentary about Nancy, the primal wound and Rebecca's own personal story. And meanwhile, do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form there. And note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 800 or you can call Jigsaw on 7 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.